Hello, everybody. This is Parshas Parshas Shmini. Hashem comes to Aaron and he gives him a mitzvah. He tells him, Yayin v'sheichar al-tesh. You can't drink any wine, any intoxicating liquids when you come into the Yomayid. V'loysamusu and you shall not die. Says Rashi, Hashem's telling Aaron that if, God forbid, him or any of the other kahanim come in intoxicated into the base Hamikdash, into the Mishkan, there'll be a death penalty, so to speak, God forbid. And it's a very severe halacha. Even if a person drinks even a revius, a couple ounces of wine or intoxicating liquid, you're not allowed to go into the base Hamikdash, into the Mishkan to serve Hashem. And the question I saw the Dubna Magad ask, and as a, a Russian Jew, I think this is a very a question we can all empathize with, is that why are we being so strict about intoxication? The Gemara tells us that wine has its place. Tain yayin lomare nefesh, says the Gemara. Give wine to those who are of bitter spirit. Wine has an ability to uplift, to, to gladden. Why are we being so black and white about alcohol? Why is the Torah telling you can never come into the Mikdash, you can never come into the Mishkan if you've had wine? And the Dibbin Magi gives a mushal. He says this once, a father and his young son were traveling, and they come to an inn, and they're hungry, so they ask the innkeeper, what's on the menu? So the innkeeper says, you know, we got the rice, we got the potatoes, we got the bread, but tonight we have something really special also. The house special. He comes, he brings out this meat, and the meat smells phenomenal. It's covered in every spice you can imagine, sauces, and the kid, you know, his mouth starts to water, his eyes are, late, you know, he's, he's so excited for his meat, he's sure his father's going to take some, and his father says to the innkeeper, you know, it's fine, we'll pass on the meat, we'll just order some of the regular bread, potatoes, rice, that kind of stuff. Fine, the innkeeper goes back to the kitchen to get them their food, and the kid's jaw drops, tells his father, what? Didn't you see that meat? Didn't you smell those spices, those sauces? It looked amazing. Why can't we get some? His father said, son, let me tell you a little rule in life. The more spoiled the meat, the more nasty it is, the older and more rotten it is, the more the chef dumps on fancy spices and sauces to try to mask how bad the meat is. If you see a meat that covered in spices and sauce, you know the meat's hopeless. Says the Dibna Magid, there's times in life when a person needs to have wine, a person needs to have a little lift, a person's going through a hard time. But if a person's coming into the Mishkan, a person's coming to do the Avodah, he's coming to serve Hashem, the Simcha, the joy, the fulfillment, should be so exuberant that there's no place for artificial sweeteners. There's no place for wine, for intoxication, from other means. It's a bazillion. It's an embarrassment. It's an abomination to the Mishkan. And this is something that we have to focus on. That we have to be able to at times connect to the simcha, the fulfillment of mitzvahs, of Torah, of Yiddishkeit. We shouldn't always turn to the crutches, so to speak, the fake highs that come from other substances. And the more we can tap into that high, that excitement, that exuberance that we get from Avedis Hashem, and the more we can connect to it, the better off we shall all be.
The Chafetz Chaim was once traveling, and he came to the city of Lodz, city in Poland, I believe. And he was staying over for a couple days, and he got a knock on the door. A father and son came to see him. They had a debate, a heart-rending debate. The father was a very good man, a tzaddik, a good Jew. He worked hard to try to support his family, but times were hard. Between the, after the First World War, before the Second World War, everyone was living in poverty. And as hard as he could try, the family was definitely suffering from lack of food and lack of sustenance. And his son, who was a young boy, he's about around bar mitzvah age, he wanted to leave yeshiva to go help the family. He wanted to go and help support the family, try to find some kind of job, try to bring in some more food for the family. And the father didn't want to, the father said no. The father said, I know what goes on out in the streets. I know what goes on out in the marketplaces. It's not a place for a young boy. Your job is to be in yeshiva, and you'll be, so to speak, safe there. You'll learn there, you'll grow there, you'll be from there. The second you go out to start hustling in the streets, it's all going to be over. And the boy said, no, look at you. You're a tzaddik. You're working hard. You're out there. I could do it too. We need it. Back and forth, the father and son are debating. They decided, we're going to take this to the Chavetz Chaim. So, of course, the Chavetz Chaim, at first, he's very moved. So, you know, two people who really want to do the right thing. Two people who are trying to do the best. And he thinks, and he thinks, who's right? Should the boy be allowed to go out go help the family, and to risk, so to speak, the threats of the streets? Or is the father right that the boy's too young, and if he goes out there, who knows what's going to be with his frumkite? And Chafetz Chaim says to the boy, he says, I have a proof from the Pasuk. The Pasuk tells us, in this week's parasha, that one of the birds that's forbidden to eat is the Bas Yana, the daughter of the Yana. And the Rishayim, Teisus, the Cheskuni, they asked the question, why not just say the Yana? If the daughter of a Yana bird, then the Yana bird is the one that's a problem, right? So why are we saying the daughter of the pigeon? The pigeon is the issue, right? Yana is not a pigeon, Yana is a different bird. Why does the Torah refer to the bird that's Usser as the Bas Yana? Teisus explains that the Yana bird is a very interesting bird. We find an Eicha we compare the Jewish people to the Yana Bamidbar. Yana is a bird that lives in the desert, and it's a very rough and tough bird. It's a bird that can eat all kinds of extremely dangerous things, shards of glass, rocks, and it can survive off of them. Its system, its stomach is developed to the point where it can break those down and still survive and get nutrients from them. However, because it's such a rough and tough bird, it's not really that edible. Its meat is very tough. There's not much that a person would want to eat out of that bird. The basyana, however, the young yana, when it's, a, when it's a chickling, then it's still soft and edible. And that's why the terror specifically prohibits the basyana as opposed to the yana, because the yana is no point to prohibiting. There's not much to eat there. Whereas a chickling, that's what people usually eat, so the terror specifically prohibits the basyana. Now, why is the basiana more edible? So Shen tell us because the basiana, it can't eat the same food its parents can eat. It's softer. 
It's weaker. It has to eat regular food. Its parent, its mother, can eat all kinds of dangerous substances, and it survives. Why? Because it's older, it's more seasoned, it's toughened. The young one's not mature fully. It can't protect itself. Kavazchaim told this young man, he said, you're right, your father is a tzaddik. Because your father is somebody, before he went out into the streets and started hustling, he, he matured, he was established, he was settled, and he was able to overcome the trials and tribulations of being out in the mud. You, you're still young. You're like the Basiana. You're not ready for that yet. You have to stay in Yeshiva for a couple more years. You have to settle. You have to mature. And then you'll be able to overcome these struggles that are out there in the streets. There's a strong lesson in this story that a lot of times in life we go to places which are not perfect, whether it's for vacation, whether it's for shopping. These are places which we know that everything around there is not perfect, but, you know, we're older and we're more mature. We know where to look. We know where not to look. Things don't knock us. You know, we don't, we don't get wild anymore by certain things. And we're fine. We're not as impressionable. But we have to remember that our kids are. Our kids aren't as hardened, so to speak. They're not as mature. And things make a big impression on them. They see everything. They absorb everything. And we have to be very careful when we choose places to go, whether it's for vacation, whether it's for shopping, whether it's for entertainment, to recognize that whether or not we feel that we're fine when we go to these places, but our children have to be taken into consideration as well, that they too are there, and they're much, much more impressionable and much, much more susceptible to a lot of things that we're, we're being exposed to over there. And we have to, we have to, have to take care of them as well. Many years ago, Rav Yaakov Galinsky went to visit Rav Shach. And they were talking, and Rav Shach asked him if he knew what was going on in a certain yeshiva. There was a big political, so to speak, upheaval. There was a debate. There was a big mathlekes in yeshiva. Rav Shach asked him, you know, who held what, what was going on, what was the basis for the fight. So Rav Yaakov Galinsky is a big tzaddik, and he said, yeah, I don't want to talk about such things. So Shach told him of art. He told him, find this week's parish that Torah enumerates all the different animals that a person is allowed to eat, not allowed to eat. And Torah says, this animal, Tamehu Lechem, it's Tameh for you. Sheketz Lechem, it's disgusting for you. And on and so forth. And yet, you look back in Parshish Nayach, famous Gemara, that in Parshish Nayach, Hashem doesn't say, the behemoth that's Tommy and the behemoth that's Tar. It says the behemoth that's Tar and the behemoth she'enanitahayra, the animal that's not Tar. Says the Gemara, Hashem is teaching us that a person is supposed to go out of his way not to say a bad thing, not to say the word Tommy, but rather to say it's not Tar. So, how do the two parashas work? One parasha, the Torah is going out of its way to say enanitahayra. And then, in our parsha, the Torah just keeps going. Tame, 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 Shekets. How do you reconcile the two parshas? Says Rav Shach, it's very simple. Noach was allowed to eat all animals. He's a guy. He's allowed to eat Tame. He's allowed to eat Tar. To him, there's no difference. So Torah doesn't speak out Tame, Tar. Torah says, Tar, and Nanatar. Torah talks nicely. There's no need to say it. Torah talks 
in the cleanest way possible. Kla Yisrael, there's an Isser to eat a behemoth tamea. Kla Yisrael, if you eat tamay, it's going to ruin you, it's going to take you down. It's going to destroy them. When we talk about something that's relevant, when we talk about something that's a danger, the Kla Yisrael's Ruchnius, the Torah speaks it out clearly, concisely, directly. Tamei hu lachem, sheketz hu lachem. There's no mincing words. Shach explained that when he was trying to find out what was going on in this yeshiva, he wasn't doing it for the sake of curiosity. He was doing this so he can get involved and try to make peace. He wants to know who's saying what, who's doing what, and to get to the bottom of it. And the same thing is relevant to us. When there's no need to talk about stuff, you don't say anything. When it has to be said, we have to tell our children what yet, what not, who's right, who's wrong. We don't mince words. We say it with clearly. We say it clearly. We say it unequivocally. We say what's supposed to be said. And that's the balance that's necessary in dealing with these things. The Chafetz Chaim brings down a story that around 150 years ago, there was a man who had a spice shop. He was a spice merchant. And he would sell spices for cooking, for people's perfumes, people would buy incense, whatever it may be, people would come and buy his spices. And it was a beautiful shop, it was small, but it smelled amazing. And everyone would walk by and everyone loved to come to visit. And he did very well. Then, lo and behold, the storefront next door to him went up for sale. And a guy walks in and buys the storefront. A couple weeks later, it turns out the guy who bought the storefront next to the spice merchant is none other than a tanner, a guy who processes hides, animal skins. And as the Gemara tells us, there's very few trades that have a worse stench than somebody who processes hides. From the chemicals, from the rotting excrement that's left on the hides, the meat. And sure enough, as this tanner really got down to work, got down to business, the stench got stronger and stronger and stronger, and people began to avoid the spice merchant shop. People couldn't go down the street. No one wanted to go near the shop because it just stunk so bad. Fine, so he goes, he takes them to Besden, he loses, he fights with them, he screams at him. but the point is, the spice merchant, slowly but surely, his business goes down the tubes. And he's depressed, he's angry, but one day he gets a knock on his door. It's the tanner. The tanner says, look, you don't have any business. How about we knock down the wall between our shops? And I expand. My business is doing great. And I'll take you as a partner. You'll come join my business. The guy's depressed. He's angry. He's like, you ruined my business. I'm going to go work in your stinky tannery. No way. Slams the door. Comes home. Tells his wife, the gall, that guy wants me to come work in his tannery shop after he made me do, he made me lose my business. I'm going to go work like a, in a stinky shop like he I used to be a fine spice merchant. I used to deal with beautiful smelling things and now I'm going to go work in his junk. And his wife says, you're right, you're right, you're right. But you know, we need, we need, we need money. Bills are coming up. So they think about it a week, two weeks. Finally, the guy has no choice comes back to the tanner. He says, fine, I'll join you. 
And the first day on the job, he almost vomits. It smells too much for him. He can't deal with it. He spent his whole life around fine-smelling spices, and now he's dealing with all this smelling junk. But like everything in life, slowly he gets used to it. He gets used to it. And eventually, he starts to get good at it. He starts to appreciate it. starts to like the smell, even. And he gets good at it. A year goes by, two years goes by, the business flourishes. He starts even having some money to put in savings. And he's sitting at the dinner table and his wife says, you know, you're doing kind of well now. Maybe you should sell out of the tannery business and go open a new spice shop like you did in the old days somewhere downtown. Find a new storefront and go back to doing what you love. He looks at her. He says, what? I'm going to go and spend my whole day dealing with a bunch of finicky people who need fine-smelling spices. Let them be real people. Let them deal with real life. Deal with real smells. No way. A human being works just like that. A yid, he starts off, he keeps the mitzvahs, he davens, he learns, and he's in a very high madrega. But then, if he slips, and he's over averis, says the Pasuk in our parsha, Al Don't make your souls abominable. Bechol hasheret hasheretz, by eating all these bugs and all these usher things to eat, and don't make yourself contaminated. Why? Because you're going to become contaminated through them. What happens? Reality is that the more the person does a virus, the more a person eats things he's not supposed to, sees things he's not supposed to, he gets what's known as timtum halev. It infects his soul and infects his heart, and he gets to the point where he finds mitzvahs disgusting. He finds the righteous people disgusting. He becomes so tummy that he turns around. Just like that person, that spice merchant. He started off, he couldn't deal with the stench of the, of the tannery. But he got to a point where he was found the people who want spices, he found them abominable. And we have to be very, very careful. If we ever find ourselves that we're slipping, that we're getting disgusted in people for keeping mitzvahs, or getting disgusted in the ideas of ruchnias, we have to realize that maybe, maybe we let stuff in, maybe we got ourselves a little bit infected with some tumah, and we started getting into the vinitmesimba, the timtum alev. But we have to spend some time cleaning ourselves out, getting ourselves back to normal, and we have to recognize it's very dangerous. The more a person slips, the more he doesn't, not only does he stop caring, he can go the opposite way. Shem should give us the schus to not only not fall into the tumma, but to actually keep growing and steiging in Ruchnius.